Yeah, so, what's doing? I think I want to try to do a podcast. A what? What's that? Well, I, well, I talk about what I do during the day and maybe conversations. Oh, because I never heard that term. So what is it, you, what you do during the day? And maybe Joel wants to uh, be on it. He thinks he'd be a good critic, a TV critic, that he'd be the best. They're waiting for him to be a film critic. You know what I mean? Well, maybe he could call in, yeah. Calling in is different. So what do you put it on the internet? Yeah. Yeah, too bad I don't have it. I never heard that term before. What is the name again? A podcast. Podcast? P-O-T? P-O-D-C-A-S-T. All right, I never heard that term. Hi, um, that, I'm Fred Stoller. That's my mother. And um, what do I do during the day? Well, this, the show we decided is called, um, what do I have to think? Oh, The Mauled Adventures of Fred Stoller. And um, being a character actor, there's not a lot, there's a lot of downtime. And I thought I, okay, I'm going to start each thing with a little story to one of my mauled adventures to introduce who the guests are. And when I got neurotic, I booked too many. I assume no one, everyone, no one wanted to do it, and they all returned it at the same time. <laughs> but this is a good problem to have. So basically, <clears throat> my mother gives me the sense of shame. She goes, what do you do during the day? She asked my friend in Brooklyn, what, does he sleep? Does he just walk around like a crazy mental patient? Because they, they can't understand, you know, n normal people. I don't understand it. So I would lie a lot, say I have meetings, make up girlfriends I have, things, and, and she, she never would believe it. So, uh, so, so okay, so the, the, the people I have here, it's good to have, I want to have character actors and to commiserate about, I know, it, I don't mean to complain we have too much time on our hands. A lot of us... We're lucky we can get by as actors, so we don't have a day job, but at the same time, what do you do when we're mostly not working? So I have one great guy who keeps himself very creative in the downtime, <clears throat> not just wait for acting parts. Okay, so there's a, I've told this story before, but I'm gonna tell it again. Um, I had a friend, Vinny D'Angelo, who I call the adoring parent I never had, and everything was an adventure to him because he didn't leave the house. If I went to the video store, get out, oh my God. No, you didn't, uh-huh, no, no. Or I went to a pizza store, I went to Crown Books, and, and it was in the morning, there was a, and he couldn't believe people waiting online for the bookstore to open. No, no, waiting online for Crown Books, waiting online, get out, woo. And I would call him, this is before cell phones, from every payphone, Vinny, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, a homeless guy asked me for money, but he said he'd, he'd give me movie tips, which are good movies, if I gave him money. Said, movie tips, and he'd be screaming. So, okay, so long story short, I... I he, he's gone. This is a long time ago. I walk around with Vinny still in my head, like pretending I'm telling him these little minuscule things that were adventures. And also, I still have my mother's voice in my head. What are you doing? You walk around. You're middle-aged. So another friend I have here um, encouraged me to write a story about my friendship. And then years later, uh, he said, let's make this into a movie. And... Um, 
So I'm skipping lots of things to get to the guests. But we made, so we're auditioning, and Angelo Sarukas, we brought him into Vinny, and this is going to go all over the place, but Steve Scrovan was a writer on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond the whole nine years, and he gave me advice about auditioning. He said, you're the guy or not. You walk through the door, you know, I'm not going to be a redneck or a Irish cop, you know, you are the guy and really helped me not beat myself up that, you know, so when we had our auditions, this guy Angelo came in and he was Vinny. He's this charming, Vinny was agoraphobic, but he had such a passion for life. And me and Angelo, right there, we felt like we were friends forever and we remained friends after the movie. And John Kapalos is there's a connection with all this you both are greek and from canada and (laughs) and and i have so many questions and so i think was that a pretty good mild adventure story i opened with uh fred could you say say the word mild again (laughs) mild mild what i say it sounds like you're saying mulled like you're doing something with cider like the mulled adventures of fred stoller mild yeah one syllable or two by the way mild Mild. mild. What did I say? Mild? <laughs> yeah, he said mild. The mild right. adventures. <laughs> right, well, <laughs> if maybe if cider. that's better. Okay, okay. So I, was that a good mold adventure? A mild opening story? It was very mild, yes. <laughs> Meaning not that good. <laughs> but but I'm a guy mild that, enough, right? you know, what do I do during the day? I nap. I go outside. I hope to have an interaction. I go to the farmer's market. I hope to bu- bump into other character actors and... We talk about being on unemployment insurance. Should we take our SAG pension? Were you walking down Fairfax today at about 11 a.m.? Yes. Yeah, I saw you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's another thing. In my neighborhood, there was a woman. She worked at a restaurant. She was in an acting class with me. She goes, I see you walking all the time. What's wrong? And people will see me, and they go, you're the guy always walking. Do you ever see Michael J. Pollard walking around? No. Oh, he walks around a lot, I see. But that. I'm the weird guy that walks, and everyone is like my mother. <laughs> so so this roundabout way I'm trying to say is Vinny D'Angelo uh, validated my life, that I wasn't just walking around aimlessly. Oh, my God. And then you, there were cars. There were two Jeeps. Woo. And they honked at each other. And they, uh, uh, yeah, so... This is making sense. Dude. Yes, but introduce. introduce okay, now I'm doing my story, but I need validation. It was a good story. Yeah, it was a good story, Fred. Okay. Now introduce the people. Okay, Angelo Sarukas. I'm still directing him. Played Vinny D'Angelo on the show, and he's stand up, and he's. We're gonna get. I want to hear the stories you on cruises, and and you had a great audition story, Angelo Sarukas. Yes, hi, glad to be on uh, the Mold Adventures of Fred Stoller. <laughs> now, the Mild, it's, you know, Fred, you mentioned about walking in L.A., and I think nobody walks in L.A. When I first moved here from uh, Toronto, I was walking down Laurel Canyon Boulevard, and these cops pulled me over. They were profiling, and the guy goes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm walking. He goes, why? I said, I need the exercise. And he goes, where? And I pulled up my driver's license. It was still on. I thought you pulled out your stomach and showed him I need exercise. <laughs> you pulled out and your I shirt. My you shirt got... with my stomach, and I said, "Look, I, I, here's my ID." And he goes, "Oh, Canadian." He hands it back to me. He goes, "Keep walking." <laughs> wow. Yeah, because we walk, and I guess nobody here walks, right? Well, but... again, I like 
I'm not good socially. Like, I don't hang out with people. But if I bump into them in three-minute increments, there are people I would never hang out with. But they're good. You pass. And right. you have, yeah, just little interactions. So John Kapalos, who um, is, to me, you were seeming bitter before we started, just making jokes. But you have... <laughs> Such an enviable career, and I'll tell you why. Wow. Well, because not only do you know him from The Breakfast Club yep. and uh, Justified and Seinfeld, and you're a guy that does comedy, I don't mean stand-up, but you also <laughs> do dramas. Like I said, you shot someone in the head and Justified. You were in a movie called Mimic. I, I never got to die in a movie. I'm just either an, uh, a, a doorman or a delivery guy or a nebbishy cousin. So I really envy, not in envy where I'm resentful. I, I think it's it's great. <laughs> good, good to know yes, that. Yes, yeah. but I, I really think you have such a varied, interesting career. Well, you know, I'm lucky. I, I'd never really had that dif much difficulty going from one to the other. So, you know. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. <laughs> and, 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 and you're really good. And what I loved in The Breakfast Club is, see, growing up, I wanted to be a character. We mentioned before Ron Liebman, Paul Sand. Uh, oh, there's yeah. a guy, Herb Edelman. These were guys Bob I thought I could be. Bob Dishy. Yes. Um, wonderful actor, uh, Howard Alk, who is in um, Bob Fosse's uh, <laughs> All That Jazz. Wonderful actors. And and I would a lot of Second City but, guys. Andrew Duncan, don't know him, but I would I would always read before the internet. Do you remember there was a a, a hardcover book every year that had every cast before the internet? There was a book. Yeah, <laughs> they're gone now. Yeah, and the book was the word, <laughs> and yeah, it was like was Screen good. World, and I would read every like Doorman, every last credit. It had like a, every movie cast credit, and I I love watching things like Love American Style and reading, and I just love. So happy when people have little parts. So you you stood out as um, you know, call a janitor and uh, well, you know, I mean, you get in you get in the door the way you get in. So I got in through small parts. Little did I know that I'd have to do so many of them. But you know, it's just the way of the world. I mean, hopefully one tries to get larger things, and I try not to be one of these people that isn't happy with what they're doing. But uh, you always, I mean, you know. Um, you're uh, fondling that card I gave you from sure. Roxanne, but uh, I mean that was one of the greater experiences working with Fred Willard, Steve and Martin, Steve Martin, and uh, that was a fantastic experience. And mm. also a funny story about driver's license because I was a designated driver one night, coming back from um, some party, and I was you know driving sober as a church mouse, and every, everybody in the car was loaded, and the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, pull us over, and I pull out my California driver's license. And I said, hey, yeah, well, I'm from California. He goes, oh, great, great, thanks. And I'm born in Ontario. And you'll appreciate this, Angelo. So just as he's about to you know, walk away, I said, funny thing is, sir, officer, I'm actually from Ontario. And he looks over, and because this is British Columbia, there's so much oh, regionalism. Yeah, he yeah. said, you're from Ontario? Okay, out of the car. <laughs> and with that, they kept us another 20, 25 minutes. And you, in Ontario. It's and, just, you, and, you, and you were the, the straight one. You, I mean, in the car. You were sober. I was the sober guy, but, you know, because I happened to open my mouth saying that I was from Ontario, which is the have province, or at least was in Canada. It's kind of like, you know, New York to... Uh, now, not Arkansas. To, Arkansas. Not to name drop, but I see you at Fred Willard has these great... Fourth of July and Christmas parties where it's chock full of character actors. I love it. Ted Lange, Larry Hankin, who was on last week. Um, Dan Castellaneta. Yeah, Alan Thicke, all these quirky, fun people. 
And I didn't know that. You, now tell me, you came from Canada, and you said to your dad, "Give me one year." Now <laughs> tell me that plan. Well, when I wanted to be an actor, I mean, Angelo knows this because he's of Greek descent. But I mean, I had very, very conservative parents. My father was in the clothing business. He was the only Greek in the, the Shimada business in Canada. And and fact of the matter is, he didn't knew nothing from uh, my field. And he said, "Listen, okay, if you want to be an actor, you do it for one year." And if you don't get a job in a year, you're going back to school. So that uh, motivated me. And within three months, I got a job at Second City in Chicago. And that's a hugely long story. <laughs> and so you, now when uh, Dennis Farina passed away, you did a nice thing on Facebook saying uh, you, you ran with him and all these people. Well, Dennis Farina, when I started acting in Chicago in 1977, 78, the people that were, and the reason why I went to Chicago is because people were working in Chicago. You know, I, I went to New York and auditioned for Lee Strasberg, and they said, you're very good. You're very good. How much money do you have? And I said, what? It's like $1,200 a week. And I said, you know, you're 19 years old. You can't get $1,200 a week. So at the age of 21, 22, when I struck this deal with my dad, he said, get a job. And I looked around. I said, well, where, where are they people? Where are they paying actors to, to act? Second City. But in, in when I started Second City, Joe Mantegna was at uh, was at, was there, and, and uh, Gary, Gary Sinise. Sinise and John Malkovich and Tom Irwin and uh, Bill Peterson and you know that that was my gang of guys. Yeah, was You'd Dennis them, Franz there? And Dennis Farina. Now, De and De Dennis Franz was a little bit before, but he was there at the time. Now I'm going to connect this to Fred and Vinny. Uh, okay, this is a stretch. No, uh, <laughs> Fred. Fred. Uh, Vinny was a guy that. Um, are you hearing this okay? I hear crackling. Um, maybe I. And he would. Um, he had this plan uh, to come to L.A. He, he get him on a set as an extra, and from that he'd pal up to some big star like Bruce Willis and would give him speaking parts. Oh yeah, Bruce Willis. He's yeah, that was his plan. It was very specific, and uh, so he. Um, I don't know why this. It is. was between me and Bruce Willis for Moonlighting, by the way. So. No, really? <laughs> really? Yeah, wow. Wonderful. I'm sitting outside the door at ABC in in uh, uh, Century City, and you know I go in the room, freaking crickets, nothing, nothing. I come out and I sit there. They make you sit there in these big plush chairs, and the Bruce Willis goes in the room, and all you can hear is oh, oh my god, Just gales of laughter from the executives, and then comes out sort of. In my book, which I'm giving uh, John for for being nice enough to, I, I yeah, talk I brought about my checkbook by the way. I yeah, I, I I talk about pilots and how you wait and audition, then they mix you up with the wives and then stay, and you have to wait there, and it's like a dog. Stay? Okay, you could go now. You can go now. You can go. Uh, you can stay a little bit longer. Oh, no, no. Sometimes they'll have it where you're auditioning, and uh, if they want you... It's called a pre-read. Then they say, "Okay, stay for the you know, stay for the producers." Stay. So, so, so it really sucks when you do it. And someone comes out, they go, "All right, Jerry, this is the address. You're coming to the producers. All right." Then I come out. Thank you, Fred. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you know, right on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty de pretty debilitating. When I auditioned for Seinfeld, it was literally he's the was the sniffling accountant, by the way. I uh, it was like a Thursday afternoon, and they said uh, I literally get the call at two fifty or something, three o'clock. Can you be over at uh, MTM at uh, four o'clock? And I went, yeah, okay, you know, it's twenty five minutes away. And in them days, they faxed me the script, right? And sure. I looked at it and and went over there and literally read it for 
Um, stay for 10 minutes. Okay, we're going to have a run through at 5 o'clock for a network. And, oh, yeah, yeah. They I would do that. Me. Steve and I wrote on Seinfeld, not at the same time. And sometimes, yeah, they did the same thing. You'd audition. They go, okay, you stay. And they go, yeah, we got the table read. Well, that fast. And that it's got to be that. one of those things when you know it's right, it's right, right? Yeah. And, I think one of the things is they use so many, they had so many guest characters because they always had these four stories running through. And so they did have a lot of guest cast. And I think. They were just overwhelmed with casting it, and they were doing a lot of last-minute casting, so that's what would happen. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, so the Angela... And, and, and you can do that in Los Angeles. I mean, there are very few places you can do that, I think, really. No, yeah. I mean... Do what? Do, I mean, literally throw out a net at 2 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock have an actor of, you know, a certain caliber, you know, working for you. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's... Right. Uh, so, so, so Vinny had this plan... He would go on. He'd be a regular on a sitcom for five years, and then he's done. He's done. He goes. He goes. That's all I want. Five years. They could give me a million dollars. I'm done. They, they could give me a part with Jack Nicholson. I am done. I, I want the Vinny plan. I he was already but, turning down work. Yeah, after his five-year sitcom, the one of the few actors that really did do that was Dennis F. France after NYPD Blue. You never heard from him again, and usually people, you know, pop up. So. That's that's a brilliant story. Okay. Uh, well, he also had a long run on, was it Hill Street Blues? Yeah, so Hill Street Blues. Yeah. Guy. yeah, yeah. So you know, he he had more than just NYPD Blue. He he probably had fifteen years of but, straight work in there. But I mean, you know, now I'm reaching back. But you've got a wonderful actor like Richard Dysart who was on L.A. Law, and this guy was a pretty accomplished character actor actor. And you know, after a certain moment in time, I can see, you know. Saying, I'm As done. Kurt Vonnegut says, when you hit a certain age, you're going to see the other side of the roof, you know. And when you hit that, you go, well, yeah, I can do that for another few years, but. See, I don't have any backup plan. I don't I don't mean to back up money. <laughs> I don't. I wish I could go retire in Vermont and make baskets or fish or. <laughs> make fish? Uh, yeah, I'm just, I like walking around aimlessly and need to be validated. So I wish I could just, like I say, retire and paint easels or, you know. Well, Fred, let me ask you, you know, sure. John, you, Angelo, you've all, you know, good character actors, done a lot of parts. You're, that means you're all rich, right? From all that work. No, no. So rich. No. Yeah. Don't people assume? Don't people oh, assume? people assume, yeah, like I said last week, they point to the Hollywood Hills. He must live up there. I only did one Seinfeld. And, down there. And people <laughs> people think I was, your show, Raymond, I did eight, and people think I was a regular. And the joke I make is I was the cousin. The difference between the cousin and the brother is $77 million. <laughs> so or they hear what Larry did. Yes, do you have misconceptions, John? Yeah, well, but, you know, I mean, that's just... <laughs> You know, when I, I started professionally when I was 21, 22 in the theater, and, and you lose, you know, your cherry gets popped in so many ways, and one of them is, like, the way people's perceptions of you are, like, it's so out of whack that, that you know, that's 35 years ago I've, I've dealt with that one. But, you know, people uh, make uh, wild assumptions, right? Wild, wild assumptions. It's funny, uh, you know, John, uh, when I first met uh, Steve and Fred, when they gave me the part for Vinny, we used to go to farmers market. We would go over the notes, and we did a lot of rehearsal you stuff. See Paul so. Mazursky sitting there. <clears throat> All, I, Paul Mazursky, yeah, yeah, really yeah. nice. I met him through yeah. the guys. But what happened was we were walking through the market, uh, and the guy at the pizza kiosk says, "Fred Stoller, I just saw Friends last night, huh?" 
He goes, friends, hey, you got a residual check? Like the guy's going on and so on. So saying friends, not Fred. Fred. Yeah. Friends. He was on, yeah. Fred, Fred was on friends. And all Freddie said, it was so funny, Steve was there. He goes, why do you only give one napkin with your pizza? Why don't you give two? And the guy was completely confused. And he's like, what? He goes, you only give one napkin. He's My hands annoying get greasy. Guy. And this guy's talking about residual checks. And Fred's like, whatever, asshole. Just give me my pizza. But I was just so well, last funny. week I, I told the story. I guess I'm repeating myself already. It's only the second week. But uh, how my landlord looked me up on the internet and thought I'm taking advantage and I should pay more rent. Because wow. he said all the credit. Your son is the one who said, Steve, Dad, Fred has more credits than a famous person. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Do you it's... know who's got the most credits of all on IMDb? Ron Jeremy. <laughs> no, he does. <laughs> He's been 30 years and he has all his uh, porn not, credits. Not those credits. I'm talking about... <laughs> I think it's John Carradine, the old like, oh, really? character actor. Yeah, I think he did like 400 movies. Or 400? Wow. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm not somebody <clears throat> out there is going to prove I'll my I'll tell life. you something about Angelo. Now, he's losing weight, but he's a big guy. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing about your charm is, and this is going to sound small-minded, you forget you're talking to an, a very big guy. Like you were sometimes 375-ish, right? Yeah, four, actually 430 pounds. But you I'm forget. You don't at your heaviest. At my heaviest. How much? How, how? What are you now? About three hundred and forty pounds now. That's great. So you've lost almost a hundred. Almost a hundred pounds. Yeah, like shirts are all just pouncing off of me now. Wow. But but when you're big, it's like you still got to lose. Have right? you done that since your birthday last year? Yeah. Holy yeah. So it's it's like so since the birthday wow. I've been because I was I was having I don't, I want to be preventative. And well, it, now he's got and, a daughter. And, they all do. And that. I have my daughter. Yeah. But the thing is, when you're when you're a comic, and a lot of your material's based on your physicality, and I've learned now that I don't think it'll work anymore. No, I'm and just it's, kidding. It's like he's it's still like, not. A, it's like it's like no. Well, but I think the thing is, is that you're you you have to think about your health, and I've really that's what kids do. Lapped off. Uh, kids do that. Yeah, my daughter's like she loves my belly, but she I mean, loves you. Yeah, and but you know, yeah, yeah. it posed real difficulties for like John Candy was a person I knew and. Like, uh, he was really of two minds about losing weight, right? Right, yeah, because, because of on one career. level, his father died, I think, at 39, 40, which was John died around 41, 42. Yeah. Of, and also, there was the fear of... Uh, but to be serious, I was on the set of Delirious visiting him and David Roshi, and uh, what's his name? Mankiewicz was directing. I think he's gone now, too, one of the Mankiewicz family. Um, and long story short is that the focus puller... Uh, Poe, you know, brings the mask, the the, uh, the measuring tape right up to John's nose, and and turns around and says to the DP, "Yeah, we should snap a wide lens on this one." And John turns around, oh boy, and uh, maybe John this, Candy, yeah, John Candy turns around and goes, "Is that a fat joke? Is that a fat joke?" And everybody out with the fat jokes, and he just totally, the set just totally Aww. went dead. But but yeah, you know, you yeah. can see, you know. Uh, I worked in Toronto on a TV show, and I was much heavier. And I don't find weight humor particularly. But when, when people directed at you, like, right, hey, yeah. hey, hey, we'll put the put well, the wide lens on this guy, you know. It's like, here's the story uh, that I know uh, in the first year of Raymond Brad Garrett, who is six foot eight. Uh, huge. Six eight? Also, he's six eight. Yeah. My God. But he was also at the time in the first year. If you see any of those first year episodes, he was also very heavy. He was just a block. <laughs> And I don't know how much he weighed, but it had to be close to 300 pounds. I don't remember. And he, after the show, uh, his first year, we knew we were coming back. He lost a tremendous amount of yeah, weight. Yeah, he did. For the second season. He's actually looked skinny in that, in that season. 
And I remember Phil Rosenthal wondering in the in the writers' room when we saw the Brad lost all that weight. Boy, is he going to be as funny as he was? Right. And turned out, yes, he was because it really had nothing to do with his weight. It had to do with his relationship to the rest of the characters and the dynamic of the story, and that's what carried it through. So, Angela, you worrying about weight and your comedy and a lot of your persona has to do with being big. But, yeah. Listen, you could lose another 100 pounds and you're and still, still a big, big. guy. Big, you're still big. But then you've got a whole bunch of material about right. the difference weight. between being you know, 4.30 and 2.30. Listen, when I did the movie The Late Shift, the one about, I Letter, to talk Letterman, about Letterman and Leno, uh, I this is in the days before the internet and way back then, you know, the analog days. And I, um, a friend of mine says, have you read the Daily News today? I said, I played Robert Morton. Right. He says Robert Morton said they got this fat guy paying playing me in the uh, in the movie. They had just cast me, and no. I was and I was tubby. I was overweight. Yeah, you know. And I've and, and so it, is Robert Morton. But and he was <laughs> yeah. and and he was right. Yeah. But he had lost a ton of weight. So I was like really freaking disappointed by this, Fred. I mean, I got to tell you, and I got to say, you lo and behold, four or five days later, I get a phone call. I thought it was a friend of mine playing a joke on me. I had John Capulos there. Yeah, it's it's Robert Morton calling from New York. And the man apologized. Oh, called I me up credit. and apologized. He's such a mensch. And like now we're Facebook friends. I see him every now in the Malibu. How's yeah, your family? Yeah, he's a good guy. He's well, good guy. Well, that's top drawer. Well, let me yeah. ask you something. And like he felt badly. And I and I said to him on the phone call. I said, Hey, as a former fatty, you should have known. He says, Yeah, I know. I knew I stepped in it. Yeah. I knew I stepped in it. So this 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 is oh. I'm different. And my neurosis, well, one of many, is. I'm afraid, yeah, if I look too good, I won't be charactery. I'll like, you know, so, uh, well, I guess it's the same thing, you know, but I don't want, I don't want to go, oh, he's a stud or anything, but let me tell you about Angelo. You can always, you can always act yourself, make, an, make yourself look different. Now, it Angelo, how good you Angelo has a great story where he's sort of, he's kind of a hypocrite about sensitivity. Tell your story about auditioning for it. And how do you say it? I watch Game of Thrones. Peter Dinklage or? Peter Dinklage. Peter, Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. Well, <clears throat> there was this, uh, uh, when I first moved to L.A., uh, they were casting this uh, mob movie. And uh, the casting was at a community center um, by uh, MacArthur Park. Melting Somewhere in the dark. <clears throat> Melting in the dark. No, so I, this is, you got to go to this community center. It's an indie film. And <clears throat> when I got there... I can't remember the things. You decided uh, to buy some heroin? You're in the hood. When I got there, I saw this uh, little person. Um, <laughs> and I recognized them. What was he? he oh, from the station agent. From station agent stuff. But he was like, he was dressed up like a rocker. He had the, the wristbands with the spikes and the... He had the chains and he had this little mean look And a mullet haircut? <clears throat> like he, was just, he just looked like a, a miniature Hell H.A., Hell's Angels. So I sat there. So my scene was with him. So he goes, okay, I'm going to read with you. And he's really serious. So I sat there. And I was just trying to get ready for to read this with the guy. And he's looking up at me. He goes, what's the problem? Well, you tell me you were laughing at but, him. But, 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 but you see, I was snickering. But I was not. I was kind of laughing because I was trying to get ready for the role. It's kind of like this mob guy who sort of, uh, he, he thinks everything's kind of a joke. But for whatever reason, he got self-conscious. So when I thought you were laughing at him, at him. But I thought you were. Or you but, told but, me <clears throat> no. But here's what happened. Okay. Let, let me finish the story, right, Freddie. Shut up. No, no. So what happens is I was laughing, but then as he got angrier, I started laughing at him, because I'm thinking, okay, dude, what's the problem here? So when I'm sitting there, he goes, "What's funny?" 
I said, well, I'm getting into my character. No, 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 you're not. He goes, are you <laughs> laughing at me? Well, well, you told me because he looked like a mini, like a mini Led Zeppelin a mini, guy. He looked like a little roadie or a, I said, well, look, I have to admit, um, yeah, a little bit. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. I am like, well, what's, well, tell me then what, what's funny. Like, I want you to, well, I mean, you're trying to act like you're this H.A. roadie type of guy. I just, I don't see it. You know, I don't see it. So you're laughing at me. And it almost got to the point. But I thought he said you want to step outside. You want to step outside. And I thought, I'm well, like what? 400 pounds. <sighs> and I've had a crap bigger than this guy. So I don't know how that fight would have went down. So I told Freddie, he got all, it, and we couldn't, we didn't finish the audition. And he's really pissed off at me. And, I, and then I kept. You didn't get to audition? Well, no, we couldn't get through it. You kept laughing. I that kept he's... laughing. And the more he's getting angrier at me, I'm thinking I can. Well, I think he him. had a right to. But he, he, but but the thing was the thing was it wasn't like look I am a professional right but he had to, it wasn't that he's a little person I'm not I never label or judge anybody but you said you couldn't get the image out of your head but it was the roadie. rocker like he was dressed up like this Hells but a Angels. little rocker like a little rocker yeah but you a know little kiss. I, I was really good friends with an actor named Michael Rappaport who was uh, okay. mini me on L A Law yeah, yeah. Michael Rappaport uh, not Michael Rappaport uh, David Rappaport sorry right. yeah, yeah. I always get the names mixed up Michael Rappaport I worked with on Justified right um, David Rappaport was a little person he was mini me. Yeah, on uh, L.A. Law? No, 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 no. He was uh, he was a not mini me, but he played Mini-Me. a lawyer, Mighty Mouse, on L.A. Law. I don't know. Whether, this is going back in TV history, but he was very, very good. He was in Time Bandits. He was the lead guy, and I gotta say, um, you know, the, I was I was out with him a couple of nights in Hollywood, and people were absolute. Can we swear on this show? Yeah, of course. Were sure. absolute assholes to him. Absolute really? assholes to him. And uh, he ended up killing himself up in Doggy oh, Park. This oh, is fun horrible. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, H.A. is not the preferred nomenclature in the United States. Oh, H.A. is the Hell's Angels. H-A. And in Canada, the H.A. basically run organized crime now. But in Canada, they're known as the H.A. And they've become corporate and all yeah, this. Yeah, that's right. But, but they're the California Hell's Angels. Oh, wow. But in Canada, he's using the Canadian H-A. term because he's oblivious See, to the fact uh, that you're absolutely in, Angela's in a story different country now. reminds yeah. me... When I went to camp as a kid, there was a, one guy in an older bunk who had an artificial leg. <coughs> and this is, this is more novelty, but now, you know, you see all the prosthetics on TV and stuff. So I was talking to someone about, how does he swim? How does he shower? And then he comes hobbling by, and the other guy goes, oh, speak of the devil. So he must feel, hey, what leg? And they're talking about me. But I was, but you know, Freddie, I, I wasn't laughing at him because he was little. It was the way he had this like mean rocker, don't fuck with me look, and I'm like, I'm, and little, and and he's little, but, but it's not funny unless he's little. But yeah. <laughs> if he's a big guy okay. with a mean the rocker look, charged. you may but, be a little scared. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, if I, I have this laughing uh, sort of Tourette's thing, so if I start laughing, it's a forget it, I'm not gonna yeah. stop. So I, I kept laughing. <laughs> hey, that was and, one of the reasons you got to, to play Vinny. Vinny, because it was just sort of like because you were a good laugher. You had this big open laugh. <laughs> Look at this laugh, and then and I couldn't stop laughing. I said, "Okay, get the fuck out of here. You're not doing this audition anymore." <laughs> and I thought, "Well, oh, there goes that one." And, what <laughs> and was I kept it? laughing all the way home to Valley Village. And what was that movie? Did it come out um, and be successful? And probably no. I don't but, know. It was an indie film. I can't remember the name of it. But it then when like we were in we were in Slam Dance, and he was there. He was there. So I had a, I had a separate <laughs> for that <them>. movie, <laughs> for some other movie, I, I don't know. But yeah, no, because my publicist was representing him there. He was there for a film the same uh, time we were at Sundance, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right, right. 
at Sundance. And we had fun like going around with uh, Fred. But I mean, that, that was a great, like, like for me being on Fred and Vinny, because I did a lot of little parts, you know, uh, delivery guy number two, uh, this, you know, the driver. And when I actually got to play Vinny D'Angelo, when Steve called me with Fred, I was in New York doing shows. And I was so thrilled that I got this lead role in a film and that these guys would choose me. I was. Well, John was saying, I don't know if you said it before we started or now, that you've got a great career, but you want to play bigger parts. So our movie, no, no, I'm the guy that's always the delivery guy, the nebbish cousin. He's always the, uh, it was so funny when he, we, they cast him, I looked at his demo reel. And there's one thing where he's chasing a black out of town with a stick, and it's the Ange. I'm laughing. I don't buy him as a mean racist. He's so charming. When he's a bad guy, you love him. So, so, so. If it was a little person chasing a little person out of that with, with the stick, you'd so, leave it now. He won't let it go. No, no. So, what was I going to say? So, I like to ask questions because. I always want, I, I never had the confidence I could be a big star. I always thought I could just be a weird guy like the guy in Dog Day Afternoon who chickens out in the beginning. So to me, I'm most excited about meeting people. Like I had a crush on, a man crush, Treat Williams. You worked with him twice. I, I yeah. love hair. Not, you got any Treat Williams story? <laughs> Don't tell me he was a diva. No, 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 no. Um, he was in the, the deep end of the ocean. He was in the deep end of the uh, the ocean. And right. were you kind of like a mentally challenged guy that stole a kid? I forgot. No, I was neither mentally challenged <laughs> nor did I steal the child. I if you read something... the book, which was on Oprah's, you know, book list, it right, was a national right. bestseller, but obviously you didn't read it. For no, me. I saw the movie. I Maybe remember. Maybe we'll, we'll have you back. Is that the name of your book that I'm not going to read now? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I liked you in no, it. Seriously, the guy's wife apparently kidnapped the child. Oh, I see. And unbeknownst to him, she dies, and he believes it's her child. Or that she's legally adopted him, and then he finds out after the fact. So I'm neither mentally challenged no, because I would have won an award if I'd played mentally challenged yeah. father there. But now, is there uh, an, is there anyone you you were going? I can't believe I'm working with this guy. Well, Michelle Pfeiffer in that film was great. Um, Ulu Grossbard, who directed Dennis Franz and uh, um, Dustin Hoffman in American Buffalo, and also made Straight Time, and also did a fantastic movie called True Confessions with Robert Duvall and Robert De Niro, which is I believe, an early 70s uh, classic. Uh, aside from that, I mean, there have been situations. I mean, I when I first came to L.A. in 1976 or something, just to see it, I went to a taping of Fernwood Tonight uh -huh. and saw Fred Willard. And lo and behold, eight years later, I'm, you know, working with him in a movie. Seven years, eight years later, working with Roxanne. And good friends. And, like, I was pricing Steve Martin's album in a record store in Vancouver, and then wow. six years later, he and I are taking a limo together at 5.30 in the morning going past. The, so there have been these yeah. past the record store where I was pricing his album, Let's Get Small, you know. And what it, this did is actually engendered the most interesting conversation I had with Steve because we talked about ghosts, you know. He said, you're lucky your ghosts are you know, in Chicago and Vancouver and Toronto or wherever. He said, all my ghosts are in Southern California. So he, he said, you know, when I go here, I think of my father working at Boeing or when I go here, I think of my mother who, you know, so all his ghosts are centralized. And it actually led to, because Steve Martin is, was one of the most gentle, is one of the most gentleman, smart, intuitively funny people I've ever worked with. And like, I could go on and on. I could count, well, I'm the, I count, the, number, count the number of Jagoffs in one hand. Well, um, could you well, tell any stories? Well, he's gone now, but Robert Culp was a huge disappointment. I hear I'm working with the guy from I Spy, and like, you know, he's a What show of, was this? Uh, it was um, with Terry Hatcher, Superman. Oh, with, Lois and Clark. Yeah, yeah. Lois and Clark. The whole experience uh, 
What stunk. Was, why was that? <laughs> well, I talk about my book being a guest star. You're always on eggshells, or you're just you're in the background, and Listen, they're talking about all their Emmys and the, their big it, houses. It, cliched though, true. I don't know whether Dukakis said it about Reagan or whatever. Fish thinks from the head down, but you work on a show. You know this as a as a writer. The stars set the tone of the show. I've been on a, I did 48 episodes of a show in Toronto, and and I was absolutely, you know, you know, the most. And I was welcoming. The most incredible experience I've had in that regard, frankly, was Murder, She Wrote. Because when I worked, I didn't have to audition. I show up, and Angela Lansbury not only welcomes you on the set, like, hello, John, how are you? I'm Miss Lansbury, you know, from Manchurian Candidate and from, uh, you know... Everything else. Capra, blah, yeah. blah, blah, you know. It's, it's like... No, there's and some she, but, she, but she also knows your IMDb. She goes, John is a wonderful actor that appeared here and there and there. And you're going, holy moly. And she's introducing me to the other members of the cast. And I did that show because my mother was alive then and my niece was... I did it for my mother and my niece. My mother was old and my niece was like eight or nine. And those that was the Murder, She Wrote audience. But still, you know... You learn so much from those experiences. I oh, remember. no. I always say if I have my own show, which, you know, be nice to the guest. Hey, get out of there. You get the joke? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, uh, but I had something similar. You know, agents, okay, this is not going to help me get a new agent, but they're pretty useless in my career. Every job I got, someone asked me, someone worked with me. So sometimes to justify their job, they'll go... It's like an awful come in. Well, I don't know if you should do this. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm doing like Italian guys. So I had an offer... Uh, to the people, who, if they're listening, offers are, are the best things in the world when you don't have to audition, you know. But sometimes... I think, I think they can be a curse sometimes, too. Because you don't know why they wanted you. And, and if you auditioned, yeah, you're flying blind. Is that why, John? Exactly. And I also think you can go into the situation where, where like, they look at you and go, oh, my God, he's absolutely wrong. It's not what we expected, you know. So you're kind of giving them the chance to pass on you, too. You mean when you get uh, I mean, in? It, it can be a double-edged sword. I mean, if they, if you're absolutely on the mark with what they think, yeah. But but it, 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 it again, it engenders a conversation. But well, you were just saying something before that about um, um, Treat Williams. No, 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 no. Just just before about something that. Well, well, but but you know, we, with me, when I don't about have to audition, agents? it's well, okay. So okay, so my oh. agent was. So they said, oh, you know, they I got an oh, offer agent. to do it was about agents. just two three lines on diagnosis murder. He goes, well, I don't think this is a good idea. You just did a pilot or something. You know, they do things like that, like trying to say, trying to make them like they're planning a career, like I'm Brad Pitt or something, you know? So I said, no, I want to do anything where they offer me. And I played a weird guy. And so I meet Dick Van Dyke. And he knew me from all the, the uh, in the 90s, those uh, uh, evening at the improvs. He goes, you're the guy that used to take risks. So here I am. It made the job so exciting. No one ever said they saw me on Diagnosis Murder, but Dick Van Dyke was aware of me, and that was so exciting. Wow. And then, then he goes, yeah, maybe when you're an old man like me, you'll play a, a doctor. I don't know what that meant, but uh, uh, you know, but um, it meant that he felt that he was doing something that was beneath him, and he was over the hill. I think. Yeah, and I, I'd love to be that over the <laughs> yeah. hill, you know. No, but I think that I did a diagnosis murder, and I, I mean, I think as much as he enjoyed doing it, he just didn't felt feel like it was. I don't think feel, he wasn't something. he wasn't busting it out. Well, some to have something like nine years is is slumming, you know. On a, but when you're Dick Van Dyke, they don't have the perspective we have of oh, we're a regular, uh, you know. It's sort of like yeah, he's Dick Van Dyke, so he was a great guy. But that perspective is a little skewed. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that you know um, people obviously look at their careers from where they stand, right? You know, I mean, 
uh, you were talking about uh, agents, and agents have always said to me, even to this day, <laughs> John, you're just a hard sell. You're just a hard sell. <laughs> you're a hard sell. And they said that to me when I first went up for John Hughes' movie. Well, you know, there's nothing in this film for you. So just, just send me in. Just send me in. You know? Oh, wow. Back in Chicago, yeah, the Breakfast just, Club. Just send me in. No, no, it was 16 Candles. And it's like, you know, uh, you got to make your break. You got to make them. In, in a sense, I mean, there's no. But, but that, that's why that, you're trying to, you're writing and producing. You're not just sitting around waiting. Well, yeah. And I mean, uh, it's. Uh, for everybody, for anybody to truly understand the full dynamic of, let's say, you, Angelo, or any of us, you know, is 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 ridiculous. And, well, that's why know. I try not to judge myself by the business pilot season. I'm not going up for pilots. No, there, there's no rules. Like this is how it works. You get hot. You get a pilot. I just, I just, you know, am what I am, and I'm not panicking. I'm getting to a certain age because I'm always a weird guy. You know, it's not. Yeah, I, I never, I never fit in. I, well, I had two things. I had one agent when I first came to L.A. He was the uh, William Morris with the um, stand-up. I said, "Can I get some road jobs?" He goes, "Hey, it's not like anyone's knocking on your door." And I, well, that's your job. You know, he's like, job. "Mad, no one's knocking on your door." Yeah, he's supposed to be the door knocker. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so nah. The, the agents are. They don't create your careers; they facilitate them. I think. Yeah, and that's why there's so many psychics in L.A. because they're oh praying on. You better have a psychic thing. tell you what's going to happen because your agent's not going to. You talking do about it. sidekick or psychic? Psychic, psychic. Well, that's psychic. why there's all these uh, acting coaches, ma people preying on vulnerable people that we know the way. This is how it works, and yeah, all, all those things. I um so people you know uh, Facebook tweeted a lot of questions. Uh, the Breakfast Club. Did you? How many days did you work on it? <laughs> Eight, maybe nine. And were they bratty? Did they include you? Did they treat you like the janitor? What no, was it like? they didn't really include me. They'd been shooting for about a month and a half before. They had had another actor playing the part. Rick Moranis uh, was playing the part of the janitor. He didn't get oh, replaced. Wow. He did. Wait a minute. Wasn't he a star by then? Uh, he was, and um, for whatever reason, he wanted to play the janitor like this Russian immigrant with gold teeth and this sort of wad of keys between his legs that he played with provocatively. And and uh, John said, okay, we'll try shooting at that, but did, did you read the script? The janitor went to this high school, and in, at one point he was like man of the year. And, and I think, you know, I like Rick. I think he's talented and all that. He might have had more of an SCTV type of more caricature approach than... Than that, and I guess they shot for two days. Although you know, at the time, I didn't really know much about it except that I'd read about it in the trades. I was in New York at the time. Have you done gigs where you replace someone? Because it's a weird thing, like on Wings, <laughs> and there was another one where. Well, you hear a funny story. I was on a film set called The Naked Face with Roger Moore and Elliot Gould. It was in Rod Steiger. It was one of the first movies I did in Chicago, and there was this actor that just could not get through these lines. And I must admit, I messed with him a little bit because he had to say these numbers like, in 28 minutes, I want you to go 53 yards up that road and tell 19 people, you know. And I said, so but just before the line, I said, is it 59 people or 29 minutes? And I so said, you messed with him and he got fired? Well, he was, he, he, Fred, you don't put it that way. No. You know, what you do is you get people and on that their... That man was Bruce Willis. You get yeah. those people on their toes. Yeah. Came oh, all the way around. If only. They call that. What happened was that they literally tapped him on the shoulder with an, another person behind him. And they said, could you take off your jacket? And they took off and they put it on the other person. And they went, okay, it fits. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, could you come with us? And then they...
I had like that. I had a, a I booked a commercial in New York where it was for Federal Express, and I had to come to an exact screeching stop and in line with the cameras. Driving? Was, yes. Oh dear. So 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 they like um, they had to shut off a street in New York. It's expensive and all right action and all these things. And I had to come to the exact spot so the cameras on my face and I kept missing it and I had to stop camera and after three tries they. Uh, he um, took the delivery jacket off me, only because it's connected here. And then one of the stunt guys was had my principal job, and I was relegated to background, like walking around. Well, commercials are worse because they're even more arbitrary. I did a lot of commercials, uh, mostly commercial auditions in New York back in the 80s. And I got cut out of a commercial um, and it was it was for like uh, Hostess. Uh, it was some Hostess uh, Twinkie kind of product, uh, and all I had to do was kind of make, there was no dialogue or anything. I just had to make faces and eat this uh, Twinkie like thing, like I was enjoying it. And this director, who I'd been uh, at audition for a few times, finally, you know, he hired me for this job, and it was me. And then there was a model who was in a separate shot, a beautiful blonde model who was dancing around. So there was no dialogue in this in this. Uh, Thing. It was just faces, and uh, I did. It took about three hours to do it, and uh, it was one of those things where you're—it's a close-up camera, and you're sitting in a chair, and you're kind of dancing around to this this music, and you're eating the thing, and then they call cut, and then somebody puts a cup around the the, the little um, uh, around the camera, and you have to spit into the cup because you can't be eating Twinkies for three hours. So that's what it was. It was like okay, cut, and then. So that's all it was, just making faces. So uh, about a week later, I called the producer of the commercial. I say, hey, you know, when it comes out, uh, can, can I get a tape of it for my reel? And he, and he kind of goes, uh, yeah, uh, well, yeah, we'll, let, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. And I, I didn't take much note of it at the time, but when I look back, I realized what was happening. I, I hear nothing from them. I don't get a tape of it. A few weeks later, I get released from the commercial. You know, you get like the 300 bucks for shooting it. And I thought, oh, I guess the client didn't like the commercial. So now about six, seven, eight months later, I'm watching a, a baseball game uh, with my, I think I'm babysitting my uh, infant niece at the time. So it's just me with her on my uh, uh, shoulder. And I'm watching this baseball commercial comes on and I hear this very familiar music. And I see this model and it's the commercial and it's some other guy <laughs> eating the Twinkie. Eating the Twinkie. Some he blonde hair better. on screen for maybe two seconds. He was better. Tops. Yeah. Yeah. And all I could think of was the, how uh, how abstract that rejection was. And all I could think of was was the client in the room when they're showing the first picture. Gone wrong. Nope. We we love we love the music. Yeah. We love the the model there. Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, yeah, Get yeah, him yeah. out of there. His face doesn't want to make me Twinkies. Well, two, two quick things connected everybody as Raymond. I My first part, I was all excited and told people to watch, and I was cut out of it. So now I need to learn. I have to, before telling friends I'm on something, find out if I'm in it or not. Yeah. And I went to a screening of Scary Movie 2. I mean, the cast and crew screening, all excited. Then I'm going, wait a minute, I'm not in this. So they have the cast and crew screening and didn't tell me I was not in it. I had a date. I was, I'm not making this up. I'm in this, I thought. That happened to me. I did George Slaughter's Comedy Club or something back in the 80s and, uh, and 
got cut out of it. Myself. That happens a lot. For, for and when I lived in Canada, I was the king of getting cut out of everything. Yeah. And I did a I did a role in the, the score uh-huh. in Montreal with Robert De Niro and uh, Edward Norton right? and Edward Norton and uh, and um, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. And what happened was the scene came that there was two thugs. It was a Gary Farmer, who you may know is a big native actor in Canada. Yeah, I worked with Gary. And I played this other guy. So <clears throat> the scene was we went inside to the house, and then we, Ed Norton beats both of us up. We're about 1,000 pounds together. Yeah. So the director comes out with the screen supervisor and says, there's, it doesn't, there's a flaw here. There's no way he could beat both of them up. And Frank Oz was the director. The director. And he goes, <clears throat> look, we're going to reshoot this scene. And I take it up. I like you. So I'm going to try to see where else I can fit you in on the film. They paid me for a week. He goes, we'll try to see it. So I had already told my friends that I was in the movie. So I had to all, they go, hey, what's Bad going on? Yeah, yeah, I know. I, no, well, because I, I, meaning I was shooting the film. Yeah, I know. You know, I'm in this, hey, Robert yeah. De Niro. And, uh, oh, no, no, you. I got mad at you. <laughs> I got mad at you because you can't jinx things. Not mad, but when Fred and Vinny, we came close to getting into Toronto Film Festival. So we're at a barbecue. He goes, woo, he's high-fiving Toronto, <laughs> Freddie. I go, don't, don't be high-fiving yet. And then we didn't make it. <laughs> you know, by one vote. We missed it by one vote uh, at the uh, Toronto Film Festival. Well, this might be interesting. Interesting to people want to learn about the character actor life with being cut. Now, if you're still in it, even as a background, you get residual checks. Now, you and Lou DiMaggio were in a scene in a Sigourney Weaver movie at Harrison Ford where you just pop out and surprise her. Working girl. Working girl, and you got a lot of residual checks. No, I well, oh. Lou did. Lou okay. did. I was. Uh, that was a, that was another form of rejection where there was a bunch of us, a lot of comics, Jeanette Collins, Mimi Friedman, me, Lou DiMaggio, all these people that Fred knows. It's a Mike Nichols movie, right? It was a Mike Nichols movie, and uh, we all go to Staten Island. Alec Baldwin is in this movie, and this is sure. uh, he's in the scene with Melanie Griffith. It was a surprise party. Surprise party, and it, uh, like a. a, a Rehearsal dinner party, bachelor party, something—not bachelor party, but a wedding party—in in a basement, in Staten Island. And and um, Alec Baldwin's got long hair at that time. He's playing, you know, a real mooky guy. And they didn't—they needed people to jump out of this closet, and so they lined all of this up. And Mike Nichols came out of his trailer and just went, "Okay, that one, that one, that one, and that one." And you know, Lou was one who made the cut, but I didn't make that cut. So he—I think he—he's—he's he's in the credits. You, you know, um, yeah. It's it, it, do you do you go on the computer too much SAG and see if you have residual checks coming up? I have to admit, I do that. You could check, and uh, I try not to. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've been cut from movies, and I've still got some residual checks. Well, uh, I was in the movie uh, American Pie Three with Chris Penn, and we shot for a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks, maybe you no, know, a week and a half, and uh, the whole segment was cut out. Shortly thereafter, Chris died, and. Uh, uh, had nothing to do with the film. You but, you messing with him like yeah, the other guy. But um, yeah, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> and and I've been cut out of when I was in the Breakfast Club. I was uh, I shot all this stuff that didn't make it in the movie. But and, completely and, cut and still get residuals. Completely cut. Yeah, there's several films. I was completely cut out of uh, Ferris Bueller, but I'm not. I don't get one residual from it. Be- because it depends, uh, you on know, your, it depends on your initial deal. I yeah, think. no, because the way it works, I found out, is your residuals go by how long you were on the set. I got all my lines cut from the change-up with Ryan Reynolds, but I still remained in the movie, like, holding a sign-up as a PA, like, you know, a cue card, and I got oh, some I nice that. residuals. Yeah, and, I and I, I, because I was there that. for, like, two weeks Yeah, in, 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 in Atlanta. 
Now, I'm going to uh, change the subject a little bit about Angelo, about his charm. He's a heavy guy. I'm going back to that. But you you exude this thing where, where you said that now, I don't mean to uh, embarrass you, you're married okay. now, but when you were, were first going out with Alina, you would uh, do sets and women would bang on your hotel door saying, come on, I want to go down on you. And, yeah, like, well, I, it's weird. I, I think that. I think... When you're when you when you're funny, first of all, uh, yeah. it's uh, women like it. They like I know. Guys. I never had anyone bang on my hotel. But door. I, I would have. And I like, thought I was funny. Yeah, not, but not I would even have, a maid. People wouldn't even clean his nothing, room. Nothing. <laughs> not even the maid would show up. Yeah. He's doing this. They love. You you exude confidence and maybe stuff. that's what it was but it's funny because let me tell you he has a brother that looks just like him but he's mopey and you go this is a, a fat guy and he doesn't have that charm he looks just like you you have this charm and uh, I don't well i think you gotta you know because uh I, it's funny i did this film since we're talking i did a film called christmas rush with eric roberts in winnipeg and he looks at me and he goes to me uh you get a lot of women don't you yeah I said, yeah. He goes, what's your secret? I go, I find the ones with low self-esteem <laughs> and make them laugh. Well, you said all... But, but, he, but, no, but he started laughing. But I go, no, what it is sometimes, I think, is <clears throat> it's how you come across the people. You and I think once you, once you get over the... And there are chubby chasers out there, Fred. All there's right, women I'll keep who that like, in mind. There's women who like bigger guys. You know? But but you, you said you have the opposite <laughs> of anorexia. Well, you look in the mirror and you say... I'm not heavy. No, there's many days I wake up and I don't, I don't see anything wrong. And <clears throat> I don't mean I'm in denial. I just think, and now I've lost weight. That's a personal thing, but I don't feel handicapped by it. And I think that it bothers a lot of people. I was working on a cruise ship doing comedy and this large woman complained to the cruise director that she felt I was very offensive and she felt, um, uh, very disturbed at how comfortable I was. <laughs> being, my, heavy. being heavy. <laughs> Get out of so here. I swear. I, Someone she, complained you were too well, comfortable. Well, she being... was complaining that the boat was listing. The boat was. So what happens here? She comes up to me and she goes, um, you know, I, I found being it. heavy? I found, and then the cruise director said, did he single you out or anything? She said, no. And, and she you know, she cuts me on deck 15. She goes, I didn't really appreciate what you were saying out there. How do you think we could fix this problem? And I said, well, you could start by not eating. <laughs> she, she's, she was heavy. She was, a real, she was on a scooter, like heavy scooter, oh, like freaking motorized. She's on a scooter on a cruise. Wilderness. <laughs> how could, how? Like, seriously, walk. You're on a freaking cruise. And, and I said to her, look, you can't put this on me. I'm putting the mirror towards you. I'm saying this is how thin people look at big people. I didn't pick you out of a crowd. But you see, people, it's like, it's not politically correct. It's not, fuck that. It's, this is the truth. And, and I think that's why when, when you make people laugh, it get, they'll look at you in a different light, I think. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I'm doing yeah, something but, you wrong. Know, I'm recording. I'm doing an album that's coming out. I'm going to be doing a, a crowdsource thing in May, but I've, I've got a song on it that I covered this Noel Coward song called Don't Put Your Daughter on the Stage, Mrs. Worthington. Mm -hmm. Now, I recorded it years ago, and it's a jazz sort of treatment of this song. I don't know whether you know the song. I've don't the title, put your yeah. daughter on the stage, Mrs. No. She's a bit of an ugly duckling, oh, and like the width it. of a seat would surely <laughs> defeat her chances of success and all this sort of stuff. So I played my album. I've given it out to several people, and what I've gotten back, and I'm probably going to cut this song is that this is a body-shaming song and that it makes people feel uncomfortable and I am humiliating. But it's and true. I am also slut-shaming, verging on slut-shaming. So, but as a comedian, as a person, like, well, wait a minute, I didn't write this song. It doesn't, it's not like, am I really going to have to own this shit, I mean, about this song? Yeah. 
Well, Fred, Fred said something funny. I mean, to it's me. not my act. What I'm saying is, like, you're <clears throat> right, just, right. You're doing your act. Just doing my act. But it's so funny because Fred said to me when he met my wife, he goes, "I, I have to start eating." <laughs> well, well, not only, not only does he. F- not think he's heavy, and you don't think he's heavy when he's hanging out with. We were we were hanging out with some other friend of yours. He goes, "Oh, fat chicks, they give the best head because they gotta please. No one wants them because they're fat." It's true though, <laughs> fat chicks do give better head because they have to. They'll make a meal out of it. That's an advertising slogan if I've ever heard one. No, but it's the truth. Fat it's chicks, like... <laughs> we give better head. <laughs> they do. It's a fact. Yeah. And if anybody calls me on it, I'll say, well, tell me I'm wrong. Listen, I, th- I'll, I think all the studies will back you up. <laughs> now, now, tell the story about the Swingers Cruise you worked on. This was weird. Swingers Cruise? I worked, oh, yeah, oh, I want to hear this. I worked on, uh, I can't mention the cruise line, because they made me sign an NDA on this. But they said, look, we're, the, the agent calls me up and says, "There's uh, we have uh, an adults-only cruise. That's all they said so to like me. It's like one of these hedonism? <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. get to there. It's, right. So they said it's adults-only. So I thought it was like like a hedonism or like a sandals, where it's she a couple. Hedonism. Right. So I arrive on the ship, and uh, <laughs> and uh, as soon as I walk up, it's like uh, uh, swingerscruise.com. So and, this is like Noah's Ark. They have to have an even number of people yes, in this yes. boat, right? And the only way you can get on the <laughs> so cruise, nobody gets left the only way you can get on the cruise is you got to be in couples. And I, and they, now when you're on the cruise, they go, well, "Look, we checked all the comedians. We thought you were the best one we wanted. We hired you for the cruise." Disneyland is not the happiest place on earth. This cruise was because there's 2,500. And they're walking couples, around naked and stuff. Mostly naked. <laughs> they have, Scotty, they have uh, they have I uh, get and back stuff. Stand up. Naughty schoolgirl night, pretty in pink night. <clears throat> they have all these things going on. It's unbelievable. Like I was telling people, they wouldn't believe me. What's the age range here? Oh, you're talking from about 25 to 85. Get out of here. Yes. <laughs> now and I'm there's like some many. people. There's some people that shouldn't have their clothes off. Right. And I'm one of them. But I, I mean, like I don't take them off. So they have like weight classes. They, no, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, wait, like wait here. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't. Like I mean, Steve. There is there is debauchery going on everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. It's just everywhere. out there. And they have rooms. They have the colony room. Which is a, like a group orgy. Oh, so they're not having sex on the du- deck. They just have rooms where they go. Well, they, they, they have like, think of a big conference room on the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And there's mattresses. Yeah. And because I was the comedian, I was yeah. allowed to go observe for my material. Sure. So you have to be coupled. It's yes. the lifestyle. So you just you have, can't did go you have in. a woman coupled with you? No, no. I was allowed to go in by myself. So I was in there for an hour watching 300 people going at it. And the best part was the guy goes, uh, Angel, did you feel uncomfortable? I go, I felt uncomfortable with how comfortable I was being in there, yeah. and then they had a then they had like a, a chocolate room, which I thought hey, this is great. I, I love chocolate. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not chocolate. It's it's the uh, black guys doing white chicks oh. while their while their husbands watch. So the black guys were paid to be on there. They weren't no passengers. volunteers. They're volunteers. <laughs> Fred wants details. No, yeah. no, no, Freddie. They're, they're vol- not drafted. And I met the guy, and they're <laughs> volunteers. Volunteer. And this guy's what do you mean volunteers? So they don't pay to be on the ship. <laughs> they, they're allowed to stay. They're allowed to stay in the cabins and stuff, but they, they can't get paid for sex. So when I'm on the deck, so they, they volunteer, so they don't have to pay to go on the cruise because you're, you're black. And they want to be in the chocolate room. No, no, no. Room. It does a, in this chocolate room thing. And what it was was the guys were doing it. So the guy saw me in the deck later. And he goes, hey, man. He goes, uh, I saw your show. You were very funny. And I go, I saw yours. You were great. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, I, but anyone I've told the story to thinks, yeah. oh, come on, you're making this shit up. I'm, Did I'm you not. get laid? No. Well, he's married. Because my wife wasn't with me. 
So they would come up to me after the show. You want to talk about? I told Freddie this. So you I, were married to Alina at this time? I'm married. This happened like a year and a half oh, ago. Oh, I see. So I okay, <clears throat> can I? Sure, yeah, please. I have sure. a question here, sure, Fred. Sure. Okay, you tell Alina. I told her. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, hey, I, I, I've got uh, booked on this cruise, and and what does she say? She said, uh, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Really? I've got the coolest wife in the world, and she. I was explaining it to her. It was, let me ask you this. Sure. More money? More Double. Than, double than the normal cruise. Yeah, she was happy about that. She okay. was, so I can go buy myself a purse? I go, of course. Yeah. There's got to be a trade-off. But at the same time, she goes, "We." I wasn't aware of it. And some of oh, my comedian friends were like, you're going to tell your wife? Well, yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. to. But the women would approach me on the ship, where's your wife? Like hot chicks. That yeah. She goes, I, I want to fuck you. I'm like, well, she's in L.A., so we can call her Skype. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was joking. Oh, oh wait, wait. So, wait, wait. To have sex, you have to have a, someone They with have you. to consent with your partner. You can't You can't be single on these ships. Right. It's a lifestyle. So, well, right. what if you were single? Uh, no, they won't let you on. Wait, 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 wait. But you're not single, but they let you on because you're... You, comedian. Right. I'm the comedian. Right. Yeah, but, but I got hired. What if you were a single comedian? Well, you still go on the ship. Or no, but you know that's a good question. Sex. I'm not sure I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. Because I know you I was know, on the like, ship. Like Fred. Fred's a single comedian. Yeah, what would right. happen if I went on it? Well, I guess but no, but the, even if you're single, they won't have, unless you, unless have, you a have, partner. have a partner. You yeah. don't have to be married, you but you have married, to be with but it's more, person. It's yeah, more, but who's uh, keeping track of that at no, but they do, four, no, four they, in the morning? But you know what's funny, John? Uh, I know like, guys, honestly, you'd think that's what it is. They won't. They yeah. want, they, oh, it's almost like some women want to have sex with a gay guy or turn him straight or something. I know, no, that's a bad analogy. I think you're but, going no. in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, no. But so it's a turn on that they're having sex with a guy who's in a relationship. Yeah, because that they're in a relationship, right? Yeah, it's swingers. It's but, a, a swingers, their lifestyle. So, so it's like what happens is if you, you throw have a single to... person into the mix, then all of a sudden it's danger, Will Robinson. Yes, it's not, it's not, it's not on equal yeah. grounds. So do you, okay, so this woman approaches you. Say, right. say you did have a partner there. Right. And this woman approaches you said... Uh, it's like dating. Yes. But then does your partner have to partner up with their... Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay. So it depends on who... how they, it's, Now, a lot of women hook up with women. Uh-huh. So they like that too. But she said, look, and there was this really hot... She was a lawyer from New York, smoking hot around 50 oh, now, now she's going to hear this. So... No, I've, I've already told my wife all yeah. this. No, no, no. I'm talking about the, <laughs> the lawyer. lawyer. Yeah, whatever. So the best part was... When I, I talked to her, I show I go, I'm curious now, how does this work? She goes, Well, I have to talk, I have to meet your wife or your partner and you Make know sure it's okay. Is this good? Like, you know, and then and, and, and sometimes so is that the hookup? Yeah, and sometimes as long as it's all good, like if I meet your wife, you meet my wife, well I take your hand and walk away. And right. it's like uh, now here's the best part. I'm on the ship, not eating carbs now. This is in my oh, he's looking loss. good. Not eating carbs, <laughs> trying not to gamble. And there's fuck-a-palooza going on all around you. Right. It's I was every vice. Nuts. I was going nuts. I was going. I was go playing Angry Birds. I was whacking off. Room. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> you could go back he to was, your room and watch porn. He, let, was, he was doing you, angry. You need to. Go to the now let me, deck. He was whacking off angry. Now, let me, let me make this now about character <laughs> acting. John, have <laughs> you in your career kissed women in parts? I, I only kissed... Two, one, one on the Norm McDonald show, Laurie Metcalf. But the joke was I was a weirdo, and Norm gave me confidence, and it was almost like I was assaulting her. I grabbed Laurie Metcalf and put my face against her. So people like us, we don't kiss the the the, the chick so much in TV or movies, have you? 
Well, you know, my mother used to say, why don't you get to kiss the girl? And I go, Ma, I get to kill the girl. That's what I do in the movies. But I, <laughs> but oh, he was in a Richard Gere movie. You were great in... Um, in Richard Gere was screwing your girlfriend. In of, yeah, Tamara Borowitz, John, John oh, Turturro's wife. You're good in that. I, um, I, you know where I got to kiss a lot of women in acting classes? I think that's a con. Because they part you, partner you up with a woman, and you do scenes, and sometimes there's kissing in the scene. So I remember this, I, I, this woman, she was from Vienna or Germany. And we did a scene from Woody Allen's Annie Hall, and at the end, we kiss. So we get to the scene, and she starts tongue-kissing me. I went, all right. So I started, go, let's rehearse again. So I kept talking really fast to get to the end of the kissing. Then I said, can we kiss without the scene? She goes, oh, I am married. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah. See, in, Fred, that's what you don't do because you're acting, right? You don't say that because then yeah. you've crossed the line. Yeah, and, and keep it as acting. I've, I mean, I've done a few love scenes. I did this movie, Afternoon Delight, a few years ago, the Jill Solway movie, where I'm with two women, and, uh, and one of them is Juno Temple, bouncing it off me, and uh, and um, oh come on, John, uh, Catherine Hahn is the other woman. Uh huh. And um, so was that fun? It's, it's hard work. I mean, anybody yeah. that says a sex scene is yeah. the least sexy. Thing in the world, I did another film in Canada several years ago where I had to make love to an older woman, and the woman was in her s late 60s at the time, and I was in my 40s. And uh, she was so so nervous, and she was a French actress. She was one of Louis Malle's ex-wives, and I mean, gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous. And but it is the least sexual situation ever. You know, friends of mine say, "Hey, so were you turned on when you did that?" And I went, "No, no, I hurt my yeah, back." As a matter yeah. of fact. I mean, it is it is stressful. Well, Ange, when you were watching the uh, orgy, was that did you find that the turn no, was, or was it, it kind no, of? I was more like I perfunctory. Was, yeah, it was like exactly. I was like, wow, like you guys have no. Like, I, I I almost equated. They this, were enjoying this, themselves, but they were enjoying themselves, yeah. and I was just in there, like I wasn't turned on were the uh, fat were the fat women giving head the, everybody no i'm just kidding <laughs> but yet yeah. all shapes and sizes it did that did, see that's yeah. the thing we're so hung up on appearance and body type and it, on right. that cruise it did not matter right. it's on it's on and i think that's the problem well, i a took a i took a drawing class and they'd have nude models <laughs> and there was a woman she's naked but at first oh this is good she's naked but then you're lining it up and it's not even a nudity anymore so i found myself trying to catch a peek at some woman's cleavage who is painting and I'm trying to look down her blouse and there's a naked woman right there so <laughs> so that's a oh, thing oh you would do that Fred <laughs> there's I, a naked woman I'm going to look at her let her me tits. ask a few questions uh, people uh, sent in okay um John, how often do you get recognized on the street? 28 and, times. And do they call you out by your real name or a name from one of your characters that you've played from Neil It's Clayman? usually the latter if they know my name or they think I'm Jim Belushi. <laughs> so, That's funny. And do, and do you have one thing you get recognized the most from? Is it uh, Carl? Probably it's between Seinfeld and, uh, and uh, The Breakfast Club, although justified. Yeah. It depends what weight I'm at, too. Now, I'm a hypocrite because I don't like guns, I, uh, but I'd love to hold one in a show and shoot someone. Yeah, you know, um, I had... He shot someone in the head I, and justified. I had probably... Uh, who did I shoot? What was, what Max Perlich, another great character actor. He was in... Drugstore cowboy. Oh, he's a wonderful yeah. actor. He was great. Uh, I love again character actors. So you shot him in the head. Yeah, I mean, I did a movie a lot of years ago, Internal Affairs, where um, I made a comment to a reporter. I didn't know. I was at a par friend's party the night before it opened, or like the weekend before it opened, 
and it happened to be with a big Hollywood reporter, reporter there, and he put it in his column the next day because I said, yeah, I saw this movie, and it was <laughs> every five minutes a woman gets smacked around. It's pretty violent against women. And the next thing you know, it was like, John Kapalos, star of Internal Affairs, says this movie is oh, very wow. violent against women. And it was uh. like, holy shit. And I closed the paper. And like, in, uh, Richard Gere, uh, a Buddhist and you know devout follower of the Dalai Lama said that the four, the film was morally reprehensible, but nobody said anything you know they to him still about cast it. a check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got service from some people like uh, like liberals, you know, a person that actually was on the board of a battered women's shelter, um, and um, who said, you know, you should know better than that. I said, hey, come on. You know, as a fellow progressive, you got to know. I mean, let's be honest about that movie. Because, yeah, but what we do and professionally, and what we do personally, it's a, it's the limousine liberal uh, ethos. Now, Michael Cook has so, a question. So, it's a lot of people shoot people in the heads, and they have no moral compunction about it. In a way, I sort of feel crummy every time I do it, but I still do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm meeting. I'm a hypocrite because I'm thinking guns are cool and I don't like them. So, but maybe. well, I got to tell you, guns are not cool. No, and, they're and, not. And, no, and, and and they're so uncool to work with. Sometimes I worked with a DP. I mean, I've had a pretty long and varied career. I worked with a DP who worked with, who is just to come from the crow, where Brand, oh, Brandon Lee, and they they didn't want to test the gun. It was an air thing, and they didn't want to test the gun with me before they shot. Just to let and, people know, uh, the crows were Brandon Lee, you know, accidentally right. shot and himself. And this DP <coughs> just got up in disgust, walked away, and he was shaking. He was shaking, almost crying. He was so upset because he said, listen, I just saw somebody get killed, and you're not going to spend because, hey, you know, we're running behind here. And I've had my stuff, I've had my chest blown open with squibs that went. What are you talking about? I did a movie called The Naked Face with Roger Moore. Right. It was the day that they were wrapping Ghostbusters in New York. So the kid that was doing the effects on this movie was the son of the guy that was doing Ghostbusters. And no, normally when these people uh, that do effects in movies, a lot of them are ex-military. Well, this mm. kid didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. And he literally blew a hole in my chest about a quarter of an inch deep and about three with inches. With the squibs. Yeah, with the squib mm. because he over-squibbed me. Jeez. And all the Golan Globus was worried about whether are you going to sue us are you going to sue us yeah <laughs> god uh, as they're poking my chest and trying to you know take out the uh, i've been hurt a lot in movies and you know you can see how you know uh, don't get me started of people doing this non-union stuff nowadays please well that whole thing with the uh the train and that that uh, that a woman got killed and, horrible horrible and, 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 the and, guy, and now this guy's going to jail Right? Yeah, I, I say someone must have said, "Dude, uh, you're not going to win this. Just a plea, you know." Uh, uh, Michael Cook wants to know where did John get that crazy laugh for his very brief appearance in Weird Science? Seriously, he is on screen for like two minutes, but he has a fully <laughs> developed character. Wow. Was that Weird Science, the movie I or don't TV know, show? Fully developed. That was the, it. Was the movie? So you were really part of the John Hughes family. I That's did so great. Four movies with John, three of which I've been breakfast. I mean, um, Ferris Bueller, I was cut out of, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's a laugh. <laughs> well, I think it's I, I fully think, developed. Yeah, fully developed from, you know, laughing at my family. And <laughs> Sylvia Graves has a question for Angelo. Angelo Sarukas was heartbreakingly good in your movie, uh, Fred and Vinny. Please ask him how he prepared for that role. Well, I, I mean, when I read, the, I read the script two or three times, uh -huh. and when I went in, I had this idea of who this guy could have been. But I never, they, uh, Steve and Fred wouldn't play tapes or give me anything on them. I guess they wanted 
So I just had this idea of a guy who, I we all kind of knew this person. That he's a guy who says he's going to do something. He just doesn't tell you when. <laughs> and and I think <clears throat> I didn't want it to be, because I tend to be on, on if I'm on stage uh, as a comic, you know, you tend to be louder and more animated. I didn't see, although Vinny would laugh. Vinny to me idolized Fred. Right. Fred was his hero and his best friend and almost his family. So. Oh, in, yeah. in, in Vinny's eyes, Fred couldn't do anything wrong. The weird thing about that was when we were filming it, I would come home and my wife would, Angelo, Angelo, and I, I didn't respond. And she'd say, Angelo, and then she said, Vinny. And I turned around and she goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> she said, what's wrong with you? I'm talking to you. And I was just so submersed into being Vinny. I wanted to stay and I grew a beard. And he was very, hmm. I, I, I just felt being this character there, there was never uh he didn't have an urgency about him i think so i right. he, he, i think like comedy you make a choice and you got to kind of stick with that and that's all i really did i just i just knew people like him i could relate to and i thought he's not the guy he doesn't get excited about it you know i'm gonna be a big i'm gonna pal up with bruce willis i'm gonna be a big star when the in the scene when we do the lottery tickets if you won the lottery what would you do well, i'd probably uh, you know stay home and watch TV and never go out. That, that's what he did. Yeah. So right. he wasn't motivated by money or anything. You think in the script, you think he is. So only for me, I thought, don't, he's a, he's a, a character, but he's not the guy that's going to be the, he's, he's not going to be this guy who's going to like, oh, well, the like, thing you know, the, take over. He's not, that's not the guy. Well, the thing about Angelo what was so great is when people would, I would show DVDs of it to friends, and they'd go, is that the real Vinny? Because you don't seem like an actor. You don't look like the chubby kind of actor guy, the <laughs> Jonah Hill or the, you know, the, uh, what's it called? You just seem, you don't, you didn't seem like you were acting. You just seemed, people, they thought, oh, it seemed like almost a documentary. It Some people seem, thought that. Yeah. They, they th and then uh, Mike, the guy Mike from Vegas, who came to the screen. Mike Ciccone, yeah. He was freaked out because he, he, he knew Vinny yeah. he knew Vinny people that knew Vinny personally came up to me you could see them visibly shaking going you're just that's did you him. ever see the movie yeah. John no I never I, I, I gotta I'll get you I, I should have now before I I, I tell people where they can see the movie uh it's on Netflix, Netflix streaming it's on Amazon streaming you can get a copy at Amazon it's to Target it's, for the DVD yeah no, you know um all that stuff now um you got it at Target yeah they had it yeah, at Target, Target. When me and Fred went, this is the best part, to Target to buy the film with a little film crew. And the girl I said, let's get this They didn't film. have it there. They had it. No. But we went to the cash, and me and Fred were standing there, and we hand her well, the No, DVD. we put the thing on the conveyor belt, and we go, let's see if she notices it's she us. She notices it's us. She's, oh, it's going to be great. She could blink. She could care beep. less. We go, that's us. That's us. $12.99. Beep. I go, did you see... She, she was on the cover, like, you know, we're trying to... Yeah, what? we thought she'd be freaked out. We were buying our own movie. Nothing. She could care less. So she could she could give a shit. She's like, okay, it's twelve ninety nine, whatever it was, the price. Uh, buy. Just, Do you have a Target card? It, no. This went long because I don't know what I'm doing, and it's so much fun. Now, Steve, since this may be geared towards people wanting acting and the character of life or whatever... Again, any advice? Because you're on the other end about auditioning. Like, don't beat yourself up because you're either the guy or not. Like, any uh, at your end as a producer writer, any advice? And for also, auditions? you're an actor, right? Yeah, yeah. But, so but, but he's been, been on the other sides. end. Uh, he sees sides. people auditioning. 
Well, yeah, I think you have to, and this is what I told you way back when, is you, you just have to go in and you know, you're going to make a choice for the character and just go with that choice because for the most part, as soon as you walk in the door, and that's one of the reasons I got out of it because there's so much that's arbitrary about it. You know, we're, you're the they right almost heights, know they look at the eight wrong. by tens, and they almost know this guy's wrong. This oh, this when I'm sorry to interrupt. When Angelo was auditioning for Friend Vinny, I saw his picture as the next guy, and I sat up. I go, because one guy suggested maybe Meatloaf could play Vinny, and you look like Meatloaf. So I sat up. I go, this this I, yeah yeah exactly, yeah. So uh, you know, and and John, who's very successful at auditioning, obviously. Um, you know, might have a slightly different perspective, but there is so much arbitrary about it, whether it's height, eye color, hair color, all of that stuff they're trying to match up, age, you know, any of that stuff that they're looking to reject you, call you out of the herd there. Right. Uh, you can't worry about any of that. You just have to go in, do what you do, make your choice. And I heard, um, um, who's the guy who, who went Breaking Bad? Uh, um, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston say the same thing. As soon as he stopped worrying about uh, auditioning, that's when he started getting all of his jobs. When he well, I used to like analyze every line, or I had my head down. It doesn't matter. It's an essence. It's an essence. I mean, you have to do your work. You have yeah. to do your homework, and you have to, you know, go in and make a strong choice for the character, and you know, just hope everything matches. But it's up. not beat for beat. Well, you, you know. also have to make an agreement with yourself that you like the part. If you don't dig what you're going in on, it's like the pee underneath the eight mattresses. There's no way you're going to act it or convince anybody else. Also, like I, mean, I found yeah. I could try to memorize it all night long. If I don't connect to the material, I go in and, and I, I, it doesn't matter all the preparation. If it's just words I don't say or, you know what I mean? And I hate using the term good writing, but when something is written in a way that sort of cascades and it's easily, easily said, if the writer is repeating it often enough to themselves and they've written it well, I mean, when I worked on uh, West Wing, Aaron Sorkin is correcting me over a preposition, right? I mean, because, but it made a difference. It made a difference that there was an and there as opposed to an or. Mm -hmm. And um, Oh, he, he was very anal. He was right, but he was, you know, he has the right to I, do that. I mean, there are situations where, um, like Gary Marshall says, you know, just do whatever you want here. You just want to tell Tom that you love him and, you know. You know What'd so, you do with Gary Marshall? Well, nothing in common many years, and there wow. was a scene where I totally improvised it. I, I, oh, God, this is... Uh, but one of my skills, if I might just chime in, is is being able to improvise and then remember what I improvised. Yeah, they got to match which it. Which is two different skill sets. I worked with an actor at Second City one night who we improvised a scene, incredibly great scene, and I literally took the tape and I transcribed it verbatim and gave him the script, and I said, just memorize it, and he could never do it because it's a totally different skill set. One is slaloming, uh, is, hitting, is hitting an exact course, and the other one is creating a course. Well, Gary Marshall did one of the classiest things. I got cut from the movie, speaking of cut, Dear God. He sent me a personal letter saying, nothing personal, we go long. Like I said, I've been to screenings where they don't tell me I'm cut. Gary Marshall told me, sorry, I had to cut you. I never, ever had that happen. So he's great. You know, one of the things we did during Roxanne, which is this is totally unprompted, I know by you, but was what Fred Skepsi, one of the great comic directors, one of the great directors I've worked with at least, is that what he did, which was very smart, is that he invited us to dailies every night. And we were getting dailies in them days. You're shooting on movie, on film, so you were getting them two, three days later. We're out in Nelson, British Columbia. But what it did do, and I advised this 
to be done for anybody who's doing a comedy is it to put everybody in the same goddamn movie. Because sometimes you've got somebody acting this way or somebody acting oh, yeah. this way. And all of a sudden everybody's seeing what everybody else is doing and going, oh, this is the movie we're making. And it was really important to see even Steve Martin, who was doing really this fine Chaplin-esque stuff, and, and to see, because there were a lot of stand-up comedians in that, like Rich Scheidner and Kevin Nealon, et cetera. Max Alexander. Jeff and Joseph. Max Alexander, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, Ke- uh, uh, Steve Middleman. And, yeah. Sure. You know, so we, it really gave us the place to be in the center. It was really nice. I mean, to... God, it, I, I think I went, sorry, I went pretty long. Any, any other questions for any of us among us? Do you have a question? Uh, I'm bad. It, engineer, anything, Steve? Anything reiterated or? No, I think it's good. Uh, you know, uh, go uh, uh, see Fred and Vinny. Buy yeah. Fred's book. Maybe we'll have you back. Um, yeah, this is the All Com All Things Comedy Network. Please support uh, Bill Burr, Al Mardigal. Have this great podcasting network for comedians to express ourselves. That's so great. Buy the merch. Uh, support it. My book is coming out in paperback. Maybe we'll have you back. See Fred and Vinny. Do you have anything, John? Have you, have you done uh, a, a book on tape for this yet? <sighs> oh, okay. We'll talk uh, about that off screen. This so is, do no, I, no. Am I going too long? Can I tell a quick story? All right. Let me tell this story. So I'm excited. This book is a labor of love. It was 10 years in the making. I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't trying for 10 years, but... Um, I, I, I put it away in my computer, it got rejected, and then I revisited it many years later when my, sign, my Kindle single, my Seinfeld year, did well. So I'm on Amazon, just getting all excited, it's coming out, then I see the audio tape. So I said, oh yeah, cool, cool, it'll be an audio book. So then I make a joke, oh, I wonder who'll narrate it, probably Tom Kenny, he's a voiceover gazillion, he does everything. He did. No, but then I see, then I click the next day, I see narrated by Ray Chase. Who? What? Some guy was narrating my story of my life. There's a story in there that I auditioned for a Fred Stoller type and didn't get it. But someone else read my thing trying to do an impression. I could probably uh, try to find. Uh, Let's hear that. Uh, okay, let me see. Because you can, you can imagine, while Fred looks for that, you can imagine. Obviously, Can you get Fred, the Amazon website and, Fred and put, has, maybe we'll have you back? And, obviously, has a distinctive voice. And it's, it's his story about you know the rejection and the success and everything of this. And the ultimate rejection is they I hire somebody else to read his audio book. No, it's messed up. It's totally messed it's, up from A to Z. Yeah. I mean, that's, if that's just, the Empire uh, State Building of messed I'm not up. so prepared. but uh, So, yes, someone else did the audio book. Of, uh, and, he, and he's doing an impression. He's trying to go, I've been on every show. One day I'll be a regular. You know, he's, he's a regular guy. It just sounds like, a, I wish I could be on Raymond again. You know, it just it just was ridiculous. Well, I worked with the great Sidney Lumet, and he had me revoiced. And to this day, I can't watch this movie. And what was, movie did he revoice? It was you? a movie with uh, Rebecca De Mornay and Don Johnson. I, I forget the title of it. Sounds familiar. Um, the Hand That Rocks the Cradle? No, 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 no. I no. think I know the thing, and I can't think of it. But it was uh, the one of three times I worked with so Don your voice. So do you get residuals if you're revoiced? Um, I get residuals, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so your so that was that your big, most humiliating thing? You see the movie, oh, and God. it's not no, you? No, no, the most humiliating thing, we were talking about films earlier, was when I worked on my first film that I got a great opportunity on was Tootsie. 
and how horribly behaved everybody was on the set. Towards Bill Murray and Dustin Hoffman? There were people like that, yeah. Toot by Todd Toot, you mean the smaller part people? Yeah, eventually we all got sort of axed out, and Terry Garr was part of that parade. And it was just like really uh, just a, an amazingly negative experience for the first time out. The only person that was, and really especially with was someone wonderful was Sidney Pollack, who was, you know. Well, I, had, I, owed, uh, I always idolized Donald Sutherland, and I was an extra on one of his movies, and he was not a nice guy. <sighs> He, he was, he's not a good guy. Have, do you know Donald Sutherland? No comment. Okay. So, as they say, don't Fellow meet your Canuck. idols. So, I'd, I'm sorry to hear about Dustin Hoffman because... Well, I mean, you know, I mean, these people were very, very uh, much into giving lines out to young ladies that were very attractive. And what happened was Are you that saying you're not an attractive young lady? <laughs> not don't, at the time. Don't put yourself down there, sir. See, I'm learning as I do this podcast. I got to, earlier on before time's up, ask who, I love hearing who assholes are and who weren't <laughs> good to a small apart people. So now I got to ask that because that's a great thing. So that was your most negative experience, Tootsie? Uh, there had been a few others. Um, there was a commercial director in Chicago that used to do a lot of those, you know, like Where's the Beef and the commercials like that. Yeah. Joe Sotomayor? I guess that's his yeah. name, right? Yeah, he's pretty abusive, particularly to children. That was really an, that was an eye opener. You know, you know, I, I mean, heard I'm, was... not a, I'm not a fan of screamers and people like that. Uh, you know, okay, the late I ha- great Paul Sills, who was one of the Second City people, was. Man, you know, uh, you know, I had a lawsuit for my book. I, they they threw it out, but but I heard a guy. I maybe I better not mention his name, but he's from Chicago, and he was doing a voiceover with a uh, kid, and the kid w- was flubbed his lawn. And he goes, oh, no, no, "You're a kid. I'm supposed to be good to you. Get the fuck out of business if you can't do it." And, and they kept, they kept that outtake. No, no. Someone told me he did a a, a thing, a voiceover uh, a, a artist I know with. This guy from Chicago, I'll tell you off, and uh, and the the guy was yelling at a kid, you know, just be nice to you. Well, this is a business. You're a kid. Um, <laughs> right. you, you you probably worked with him, and uh, he, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Well, could you sue for saying someone yelled at a kid? No, no, no. Don't no. say it. Don't, don't 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 say any names. It's better that they don't get the publicity one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So wow, this this went really fast and. Um, I'd say when 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 Angela started telling the swinging stories, that's, that's when, when they, 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 <laughs> everybody kind of like, oh, well, let's hear more about this. No, the water slide of love. <laughs> Nobody could get a word in. Um, yeah, we didn't want to get else, anything else in, right? Any other sex? No, no, I could edit it. In. I, I got an album uh, called Too Hip for the Room" with uh, I, uh, that's coming out in May. So um, I'm going and, on, I'm going to Australia on yeah. the uh, 22nd of April for a, a festival tour. So I'm doing Sydney, Melbourne, and uh, Perth. No comedy festivals. Now, Rachel, um, is it Rachel? Yeah. I'm new at this. Will there be a website where we could put John's stuff up and the people, the guests, and pictures? Or I'll do that. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's up to me. All right. Everything we talk about, I'm going to put pictures and links. Cool. Uh, yeah, all things comedy. So we can all put on our Facebook and uh, Twitter and social media. So. Well, this is what I want to do. I just want to talk with people about fun stuff and... I, I, I really thank you guys. I, as my book, Have You Back, I, we had a great discussion about documentaries. You changed my mind. There was really har- uh, bad-mouthing documentaries. Did you he, see he, the Clark Terry documentary, by the way? No. He, oh. did, he, he did the one about Ralph Nader, Unreasonable Man. Did you ever see that, John? Yeah, I did, as a matter of fact. I that, that was, he wrote and directed it. No, so check that wow. out. Yeah, Check well, that out. Got ambivalent feelings about Ralph Nader, right? Well, and and Rachel, talk. I know you're mad that you didn't like this one as much as last week. 
But um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but everyone will be different, and it's all different. How'd you think? Okay. I'm such we're a, editing. I'm so, we're getting reviews while we're still on the air. I'm such Was an, it okay, Rachel? I'm uh, such an idiot because, like, she's going to go, that's a little weak. Like, when I ask how it go. Yeah, she's with gonna us in go, the room. She's going to go, you know, could you just do it about the cruise? Wrap, wrap up your show here, Fred. Okay. <laughs> See, again, I'm directing him. I had to tell him to introduce everybody. Now wrap it up. Well, I think that's what I'm doing. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm re I really enjoyed it. That's why it's taken so long. I'm just don't hit you the table. Don't bang the table. I so know, much, and Fred. I was the one who told you that beforehand. Don't bang the table. When friends were banging the table. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Thank you, Rachel. I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Aaron. 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 Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks a lot, Fred. Love you guys. <laughs> <laughs>